0: many of you want to go where Jesus is going? We always want to be on the same path, right? We learned that in uh, Sunday school, right? He will lead Mm -hmm. us in paths of righteousness. So uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4 starting with verse 18. Take out your, uh, you should have a place to take notes. Take those out as well. And uh, We're going to talk about, at least for the next four or five weeks or so, what is our core mission for Freedom Baptist Church, and not just Freedom Baptist Church, but all churches in general. And you'll notice at the top of your handout, it says, Who's Your One? Kind of a catchy title, right? Who's Your One? We've talked about that before. It's not my title. I didn't come up with that. But uh, it asks the question, who is the one person that you are praying for to come to know Christ this year. And we're gonna be talking about that, what it means to pray for them, but also what it means to share the gospel for them. Can you imagine the difference in our world today if in churches everywhere, each person committed to to reach one person, just one person that year and followed through with that? And of course, uh, a lot of it depends upon the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit leads as well. But we have this promise from Jesus that the fields are white for harvest, right? He says that. He says the fields are white for harvest. So there is a harvest out there if we are willing to go after and to pick that harvest, so to speak. Harvest that harvest. And so our core Focus here at Freedom Baptist Church, at least as long as I'm here, will always be to live out the gospel and to share the gospel with people. We share the gospel so that they have the message of what Jesus has done for them on the cross. We live the gospel so that they see that He lives within us and this thing that we're asking them to place their trust in is real. It makes a difference in our lives. And so this. next four or five weeks we're going to be talking about who is your one like i said this was not my idea this was i think probably a program that came out i believe through the north american mission board uh, where you preach on this topic and then you ask people to commit to it and i'm going to be doing that and so uh i think it'll be interesting i think it'll be good for us to do that so Ziff Church has already gone through this, so Brother Jim Beam, you know, most of you who know him, they've already kind of been through this, and he's excited about how people have picked up on the idea of having one person that they're praying for to come to know Christ in this next coming year, but we're doing it not because another church is doing it, but we're doing it because this is what God has called us to do. He has called us to go and spread the gospel to all creation, literally to all creation. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. But we're going to talk about it by describing a little bit about what a Christian is. First of all, consider consider what comes to your mind when you think of the word, let's say, politician. There are certain probably characteristics that come to your mind Maybe some good, maybe some bad, but there's a certain kind of, uh, certain kind of uh, feeling that you get probably too when you hear the word politician. Or when you think of certain sports fans who are really fanatical about, you know, the ones that wear the paint on their chest and the ones who have c- colored their hair. Or maybe you think about a Hollywood celebrity. What comes to mind when you think of a Hollywood celebrity? Well, you might say it depends on which one, but in general, we might say that Hollywood celebrities are different than us, right? Now consider what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian. When you hear the word Christian, what comes to your mind? I'm sure, I'm sure that each and every one of us maybe would have certain uh, characteristics about people that we think are really Christian And if we go outside of the church and look at culture, though, look at the world out there who really do not attend church, and you say the word Christian, what would they think? They might think a lot of different things, right? Some might actually know what a Christian is, a person who's following after Jesus and has placed their faith and trust in Christ in him. Probably going to be a relatively small amount of those who did that. There may be some who say, well, Christians are judgmental. Christians are against everything. Christians are all about rules and regulations. And so, you know, you really wouldn't want to go to them for a definition of what a Christian is. You know, it's interesting that the word Christian uh, is only used in the Bible three times. (laughs) It's only used in the Bible three times. The first followers of Jesus did not really call themselves christians it was a derogatory term used by those who were outside of the faith and they were calling these people little Christ's by calling them christians kind of saying in a in a ridiculing way that oh you just want to be little jesus walking around everywhere and so it was a derogatory term early believers actually called themselves disciples of jesus They didn't use the word Christian, and it's disciple of Jesus that probably best defines what actually a follower of Jesus is supposed to be. They are supposed to be a follower of Jesus. This term, disciple of Jesus, as opposed to three times, is used 281 times in the Bible. So it's probably a far more accurate description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. Sadly today, it's more than likely that many who say they are Christians are really not followers of Jesus Christ. They are what we would say, you know, we have terms like rhino, which means Republican in name only. Uh, there can also be Christians in name only as well. They've kind of get, you know, taken that label upon themselves. Someone ask them, well, what religion on you? They might quickly say well, I'm a Christian, but they really are not followers of Jesus. Well, we want to talk today about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we'll do that by looking at our scripture, of course. So our scriptures, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, it's only four verses, but let's go ahead and stand, get our legs moving again, get our blood moving, and look at scripture, what Jesus has to say about discipleship and what it means to follow after him. I think it will be enlightening for us. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. This is Jesus. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this short scripture that we have today, and we pray that we would learn much from it, help us to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and uh, that we would... Be empowered by your Holy Spirit to be able to be the people that you've called us to be. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, these people, uh, fishermen, uh, had a unique upbringing. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the up uh, historical background of what these boys would have gone through growing up. First of all, all Hebrew boys, which these were all Hebrew boys, went to Torah school starting at age five. Now, you may not be familiar with the word Torah. Torah is just another word for the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And uh, so they would begin learning about those. And if you are familiar with those, you know, some of them are interesting. Some of them maybe are part of your Bible reading program. You've started in Genesis and you're doing great so far after two or three days. And then probably in a couple weeks or so, you're gonna get into Exodus and Numbers and some of those books and it's gonna kind of slow down a little bit. So you know that the Torah or the first five books, while interesting in the beginning, can be very tough to read through, but these little five-year-olds were studying this and many of them would actually work to memorize the first five books of the Bible. By the age 10, All young boys knew the Torah, and the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. So the other, what, uh, 34 books, uh, they they would go and study about them. The rest of the ones who didn't want to pursue their religious studies returned at home to work in their family businesses, such as fishermen. So at the age of about 17, If you wanted to go on and make a career out of religious studies, your next step was to find a rabbi you admired and apply to become one of his disciples. So Jesus was a rabbi. There were many other rabbis in the Jewish faith. People would see one that they admired, that they wanted to model, and they would actually go to that one, uh, kneel down at their feet, and ask to be their disciples. And... This description goes on it says when you found one you would go and sit at his feet that was your request to learn and the rabbi would examine you with questions and put you through a series of tests to see if you were worthy to be his disciple so quite stringent to be able to get into actually have a rabbi that you could follow and model your life after The rabbis could choose the smartest, most talented boys to be their disciples, and they usually did. Another reason the rabbis were so picky is that when they chose a disciple, they were choosing someone whom they believed could become just like them, to not just know what they knew, but to do what they did. So all of this is about not just learning uh, books or scriptures, although that was part of it, but it was to become a disciple just like the one that they were following, to, to mimic him in every, in every, in every way. Uh, for several years, these young disciples would follow their rabbis, imitating them in every way. And you might underline this or write it down. The goal of a disciple was to be like the rabbi, okay? The goal of the disciple was to be like the the rabbi. So what can we learn by this historical background and the scripture that we read? Well, the very first thing that we can learn is that Jesus doesn't choose the best, he chooses the willing. He didn't choose the best, right? These guys had not gone on with their religious education. They had stopped when they were 10. They had gone back to be with their families. They were working with their fathers in their businesses, they were not the cream of the crop. Jesus, when He chose His disciples, did not choose the cream of the crop. He chose fishermen to be a disciples. What, what does this tell us? They weren't the best. They were the B team. They were not the A-team. Jesus, you've got to remember, would ultimately leave the responsibility for spreading the message of the gospel with these disciples whom he was selecting. But he didn't pick the best. He didn't pick the, he didn't pick the best. John MacArthur said, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great literate library was in Alexandria. The great philosopher, philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary it was comical. Jesus had not picked the best, but he had chosen ordinary men, just like us, right? Just like us. We are ordinary people. Jesus chose the B team because his work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities for him, but what he could do through them, right? So we see this over over again in the scripture. We saw it with the people of Israel. Why did God pick the people of Israel? Was it because they were the biggest? Did they have the biggest army? Did they have the most wealth? No, they had none of that. They were a small people. They did it so that his power could be manifested through them. Same thing with us here today and same way with the disciples. God wants to use them. God wants to use you as well in your family and in your workplace and so I wrote down here, we need to stop making excuses that we are not able, right? <laughs> I'm trying to say this in a loving way. I'm saying it to myself as well. <clears throat> stop making excuses that you're not able. Many people say, I'm unable to share my faith. Many people say, I'm unable to pray out loud. Many people say, I'm un- unable to give 10%. Many people say I'm unable to do many, many different things. Remember, according to this, he doesn't need our ability. He requires only your availability. He wants an open heart. He wants a heart that says, yes, do with me as you will. I'm ready to follow you any place if you will just let me be with you. He will equip you, and he will empower you. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? He will do that. You know, I would not be here today if, uh, if I had looked at my own abilities. No way would I think of myself of being here at Freedom Baptist Church. It's not about my abilities, it's about him being able to use me to accomplish his work. And so Jesus does not choose the best, he chooses the willing. And the question we have to ask ourselves, are we willing? Are we willing to do the extraordinary things that he asked us to do, to teach Sunday school class, to participate in Sunday school class, to share the gospel, even when it's not popular? Second point that we'd like to make today is that Jesus chose us, not we him. He chose us, not we him. This was the opposite of the way it was done in early uh, Judaism in the New Testament times, it was a disciple who went to the rabbi and, and went to his feet asking to learn from him. This is different, Jesus chose us, not him. Matthew 4:19, and he said to them, follow me. This should give us great confidence that he has chosen us to do these things. Not because there's anything good within us, right? Not, once again, not because of our abilities, but because of our availability, making ourselves available to him. He has chosen us, and he hasn't chosen us to make us fail. The disciples didn't come seeking him. He pursued them. John 15, 6, Jesus makes it very clear. Here, once again, he's speaking to the disciples. It's much later. It's later in his ministry, but he says, you did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Jesus does not choose the best. He chooses the available. He does not uh, let us choose him, but he chooses us. Thirdly, our primary calling is to be with him. That is our calling, to be with him, to be with the shepherds. You know, if you think of a flock and you think of a shepherd, they go together. It's not normal for one of them to stray off and to be out here by himself. We are designed as Christians to be with him. That is our primary calling, to follow him. His primary call is not for us to do something, but to be somebody, to become like him. To become like him, we must know him. Right? We have to have a personal relationship with Him in order to know Him. And I would ask you today, have you have, do you have a personal relationship with Christ through faith in what He has done for us on the cross? So we must know Him, and to know Him, we must know His Word as well. That's why we spend so many time with sermons and Bible studies and... Those type of activities, Sunday school, Bible studies, personal discipleship, all those things are available to you here today. I think sometimes we, (laughs) just a side note, we think so much about heaven and how wonderful it's going to be that we forget that Jesus wants to be with us right now and we can enjoy that relationship with him right now. We talked about worry in Sunday school, and there's so many worries in this world today. But when you have Jesus and you know he's walking beside you, you know that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. You can have great confidence, and you can actually enjoy your life. We are designed to enjoy our life, and that life means to be with Jesus, to follow him. And so it's kind of an oxymoron. I don't know if you know what an oxymoron is. It's two words that are opposite to each other. But it's an oxymoron to call yourself a Christian and not be following Jesus in obedience. It just doesn't work that way. And the scripture doesn't call it that way. Somewhere we have gotten the idea that we can make a decision for Christ and never attend church or do anything and then still have some kind of confidence that we've truly been saved. And I believe in eternal security. I believe in once saved, always saved, but you have to be saved in the beginning. It has to be a true conversion to Christ. And so there should be in every Christian a desire to be obedient to Him. That's part of the new heart that he gives us. And so our first inclination is: yes, I, you know, I want to be baptized. <laughs> I look forward to being baptized. That's the first thing Jesus tells us to do. I want to be baptized. I want to be part of a church because Jesus assumes that I am going to be part of the local body of believers. And so our primary calling is to be with him, but it's not without cost, right? It's not without cost to follow him. We have to leave it all. His words, not mine. Matthew 4, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Just think about that. Probably two of the most significant things in their lives they were asked to leave in order to follow Jesus. They left their boat, and you're going to say, well, big deal, they left the boat. No, <laughs> their boat was their business, right? Without their boat, they had no way of making a living. They had no way of fishing. These are not fishermen out there with a rod and reel, fishing that way they're going out in the boat they're casting nets they're bringing in large hauls of fish in order to have money to buy other things and for them to leave their boat not knowing what was going to happen to it shows a great amount of faith and commitment to christ they left their boat then they left their father jesus asked us to leave behind all of our significant relationships Remember the story of the person who wanted to be the disciple of Jesus? And he said, first let me go back and bury my father. And Jesus says what? Let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. And that doesn't mean that we don't love our relationship or care for them. But in contrast to the love and commitment that we should have to Christ, it should be seem like uh, insignificant. To follow Jesus, we, he must take precedent over both our business, our significant relationships, and everything. I wrote down a couple applications. I hope it don't make people upset with me, but is your job hindering your relationship with Christ and the church? This is just one example. I thought, And I've asked this question myself because in the past it has. In, in the past, I worked for a company called Dowell, worked in the oil field, worked long hours, and gradually it took me further and further away from church. At first, it was legitimate. You know, I couldn't make it on Wednesday night Bible study because I was out on a rig doing a job. But then, as I missed more and more, it became easier just to say, well, I'm just not going to go. And I was too stupid to ask myself this question. Uh, God had to take extreme measures to bring me back. But if your job is hindering you from your relationship with Christ and the church, leave it. Leave it. Find a different job. Ask ask God to give you a different job. God can give you a different job. If he wants you involved in the church and in ministry and in ministry, Leave your job. He will provide you another one. You might say, well, it won't make as much. Well, which is what what what's your priority, priority? Your job or how much money you make? I'm not saying this happens to everyone. I'm not saying we can't have a good job and ministry as well. But if your job or some other activity is keeping you from ministry in the church, leave it. I put down another thing. Maybe you can't attend attend church because of COVID. Now, obviously, you guys are here. Or maybe you can't be involved in online ministries because you don't have a computer. Buy a stinking computer. (laughs) (laughs) Have someone teach you how to use it. We've just had Christmas. There's been thousands of dollars spent on a lot of different things. In In this age, I wouldn't say this ordinarily, but in this age of COVID, Maybe maybe it's time to buy a little, uh, you know, iPad for two or three hundred dollars, where you can get on and communicate with the church. I'm just saying. Then finally, Jesus commands us to spiritually reproduce. Matthew four nineteen, and he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Just as Jesus was a fisher of men, the disciples would become fishers of men, and we should too. If we're in some type of discipling program and we're not becoming a fisher of men or women, then we're in the wrong discipleship plan. How do you prove that you're a disciple? By bearing fruit. Look behind you. See any disciples? If you don't see any disciples, you're not being a disciple. You're not following Christ. You need to work on discipling others. Some, sadly, have never led a person to Christ. They've never personally led another person to Christ. Man, I want, you, I want every person to have that joy of leading someone to Christ. It's, it's just such a tremendous feeling and a God-honoring feeling that I want everyone to experience that. John says it, or Jesus says it this way. He says, by this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So how, how can I produce disciples? Well, we follow the method that Jesus outlined and we'll be closing pretty soon. Jesus came to his disciples. He was getting ready to leave them. You know the scripture probably well. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The pattern, the mold, the way that we are to do discipleship is right here, here in these verses. It says, go and make disciples. First of all, we're going to have to go. We're going to have to go. I say have to go, we actually get to go. We get to get out of this church and we get to go talk to people and we get to go to fairs and share the gospel, and we get to do a lot of different things. We've been to different countries even. We've been to Argentina, we've been to so many different places India, Charlotte's been to Chicago and different places. We get to go. It's a wonderful experience to get to go and to make disciples. We baptize them. We help them follow in that first step of obedience by baptizing them. And through baptizing, we give a picture to the whole world of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then finally, we get to teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded us. And he has just commanded them to go and make disciples. So it comes full circle. And so we are to do these things. And it's my prayer today that we would do these things as a church. Robert Coleman wrote just a masterful book. I think he wrote it back in the 1970s, 1980s. Everyone really should read this book. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism. But he says, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something but someone. You are God's method sitting out here in the pews it's not it's not about me it's not about inviting enough people to this church that they are going to hear the gospel here and come down here but it's about in your homes sharing the gospel having a bible study inviting people over spending a lot of time with them sharing the gospel you know it's so easy in our world to think of evangelism or disciple making as something that we want instantaneously just like we have everything else we want to share the gospel one time we want them to repent and turn to the lord jesus and sometimes that does happen right but for the most part it takes many conversations many sharings of christ in order to do that and so i want to see us as a church become this this year this idea of who's your one, that you are praying for one person to come to know Christ. And you're not only praying for them, but you're sharing Christ with them on a regular basis. I want us to commit to it. Don't let it intimidate you. Disciple making is simply taking what you know about Christ and teaching someone else how to do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has promised to help us do it, right? We're not doing it on our own. The church is here to help us to do that. So identify your one person. Ask God to identify that one person this year with the help of the Holy Spirit that will come to faith in Christ this very year. Can you think about that? And maybe during the response time on your handout that you have, your notes, write down a name there of someone that you're going to be praying for and working for this year to come to know Christ. Now, how can we do this? Well, it's only by God's amazing grace, right? (laughs) We are saved by grace, but we are also empowered by grace. So as we close today, I think we're going to sing amazing grace. Our chains are gone, right? Let's think about that we have been we have been released from our sin and we have been empowered by Jesus Christ to do this work. We are not alone. We can do this. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had to be able to share uh, these words with you and to share this idea of we should always have one person, at least one person that we're praying for to come to know Christ and be willing to sacrifice the time that it takes to build a relationship with them so that they might listen to us when we share the gospel with them, that they might place their faith and trust in Christ and be saved. Help us to do this. In your power, we ask these things. In Christ's name, amen.